2: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week for a, uh, a great conversation on a lot of the media aspects about women's college basketball and the WNBA. Chantelle Jennings is a national writer for The Athletic covering women's college basketball and the WNBA. Sabrina Merchant is a national college basketball and WNBA writer for The Athletic. And we had a great conversation just on how they approach covering both the WNBA and women's college basketball on a national level as opposed to local and how you sort of find stories and, and navigate that. We get pretty deep into the uh, two super teams that have formed, the uh, Liberty and uh, the Vegas Aces. Um, you know, Between these two teams, they have you know 10 of the 30 best players in the league. Brianna Stewart, Courtney Vandersloot, John Cole Jones, and Brianna Nescu are on the Liberty, obviously Asia Wilson, Candace Parker, Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Graham, Las Vegas. It's going to be an incredible dogfight between these two teams. And we get into whether it's good for the league. uh, Is it good for uh, media entities? How do you go about approaching uh, covering these two teams this year, given all the interest? So I think you'll enjoy that. We also get into Brittany Griner and uh, covering Brittany Griner now, coming back, expected to play for Phoenix and what's going to happen with her regarding media accessibility. Um, and how you just approach Brittany Griner. This is uh, very unprecedented and uncharted territory. Obviously, we've not had a, um, an athlete uh, playing professional sports after being a hostage. And so um, incredibly unique. And then we get into some issues about uh, both the WNBA and women's college basketball as it relates to media, including what, um, what would you do if you're like a Paige Beckers uh, where you're making a million bucks or whatever at UConn, do you stick around and try to stay there as long as possible, or do you head to the, to the WNBA? So I think you'll find it interesting. So Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant, both of The Athletic coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm really pleased to be joined by two of my uh, colleagues at The Athletic. Chantel Jennings is a senior writer, covering women's college basketball and the WNBA. But by the way, Chantel, I don't even know if that is your title. I'm just giving it to you because I think senior writers is a nice title here. Yep. Just like that. It is. Okay. There we go. And Sabrina Merchant is, i would call you a senior writer as well, Sabrina, even if you're not for, uh, so if that's a promotion, congrats. Um, For, yeah, for the, uh, for the athletic, um, again, covering, um, covering women's basketball, uh, focus on the WNBA and I'm pleased to be joined by both my colleagues for this particular conversation because we are going to get into super teams and a lot of the exciting news that has happened in the WNBA in the last 10 days. And welcome, Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant to the Sports Media Podcast.
3: Thanks. All
2: right. All right. I'm going to start with you, Chantel. Um, so you, you both, you and Sabrina are both in an interesting case in that you have to cover these sports nationally. It's sort of... Very obvious if you were like the University of Tennessee women's basketball writer, like what your topic would be, or if you were UConn's writer, what your topic would be. Covering the sport nationally is a different challenge, kind of an amazing opportunity, but also challenging in terms of like, so what do you write about on a certain week, or what do you focus on? So, let me ask you broadly, like, how do you approach covering the WNBA? or women's college basketball on a national basis, as opposed to having more of a hyper-focus on a singular program?
1: Yeah, well, I think my answer now is much different than it was a year ago. Now that Sabrina and Ben Pickman are both here, we kind of have more bandwidth to cover more and do more, Um, whereas a year ago it was myself and some freelancers and other folks at the company that wanted to write some stuff. So right now I think it's really exciting how we're covering free agency specifically in college basketball, but, you know, being able to delve into specific topics and have these conversations, Sabrina and I did a back and forth last week, um, which just physically wouldn't have been possible a year ago because I was only talking to myself about these things. Um, And that wouldn't, you know, maybe our readers would have worried if I did a back and forth with myself on the website, but being able to dive into these topics and have agreements and disagreements about what's going on. Um, I think it adds uh, a lot of depth to our coverage at The
2: Athletic. Yeah, I would have liked that, Chantel. You do good Chantel, bad Chantel, like you can sort of, or meta Chantel, and you flip it that way. All right, Sabrina. So um, Chantel is right, like the coverage, and we'll get to that a little bit on The Athletic, has really been amped up with the, your edition and Ben's edition. But again, in terms of like, how do you, you cover wins basketball for a while. So how, in terms of sort of thinking about, national uh stories like what's your what's your focus what's your approach to do this
3: it's interesting because uh when i covered women's basketball before coming here it was pretty much just in la so uh, i didn't have that national scope um but now coming here i think what's kind of fun is like the WNBA has been telling us their stories right like vegas new york that's what matters so um it hasn't been that difficult to figure out like oh that's that's where i need to be focusing my attention but as far as the college side of things like I think what's kind of great is that there are just interesting stories to be told everywhere. So like wherever, like I'm watching a game on, you know, the big 10 network and Indiana is like really interesting to watch. And so I think that might be a good story. And like, that's, that's just sort of how it happens. I mean, I I think what's cool is that there's just so many fun programs. Like there's kind of parody in women's basketball now, like other than South Carolina, I'm not going to include them in a parody discussion, but like there are a lot of good teams. So I think we have the opportunity to find stories a lot of different places as opposed to just like focusing on one or two power programs.
1: I was just gonna say, I think one difference really with covering women's basketball compared to a lot of other sports is just that there isn't as much coverage. And so, you know, when you think about these stories, like Sabrina had a great piece on Terry Morin and an IU, you know, there just hasn't been that much coverage. And so Sabrina writes the definitive Indiana piece this year, and I had a piece on Michigan. They're playing really well. Uh, you know, there just aren't these sort of As many of these stories on the national level as there are on the NBA or the NFL. And, you know, just sort of those, even what would be considered like a niche story in maybe other reporting. I wrote a piece about Brie Beale on Friday. She's the best defender in college basketball, but is there a place for her in the WNBA? In other sports, these conversations are regularly happening. But because there are fewer people employed to cover women's basketball, we sort of can pick the things that are most interesting to us and they're often undercovered.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, the big 10 this year in women's college basketball has been amazing. There's a lot of great stories. Uh, I just had, yeah, la- as we're taping this last night, I watched, uh, Caitlin Clark, uh, and company roll Maryland, which was a pretty, uh, which was a pretty interesting game given where those two teams are ranked. I want to, Chantel, just follow up one with you. You should follow up to Sabrina. What I found at Sports Illustrated when I covered women's basketball and, um, You know, now we're talking like six, seven years ago now as opposed to today. But what was always great about it was your access was incredible. You didn't have to fight against other reporters to get like 10 minutes with Kevin Durant or even whoever the top male college basketball teams were at that time. And so that was like a great part of covering it was that you really, you had access to like almost unlimited access to the player in many ways, as well as obviously the coaching staff. Have you found that is still the case with at least, in my estimation, a little more interest in 2023 nationally media wise than it was when I was doing this in 2015,
1: 2016? I think in women's college basketball, yes, generally speaking, it is pretty easy to get players and coaches. The difference now is obviously there are sometimes NIL agents you have to go through for certain (laughs) stories, which um, is true for any college sport that we're talking about right now. And women's basketball is no exception there, but I would say Generally, women's basketball at the college level is very aware that coverage is good. Um, there's not necessarily the stonewalling that it exists in other sports, maybe even sometimes at the WNBA level, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found that getting top coaches, top players on the phone is, you know, basically a one email situation or one text to an SID. And it's, you know, nice. pretty easy to line up.
2: What about you, Sabrina? Maybe uh, if you want to use the WNBA as an example, what have how have you found in terms of uh, in terms of access? Now, understanding that the Na- the athletic is a national publication and that will mean something different than a um, a smaller publication. But by and large, what's access been for you right now?
3: So, I mean, I'd agree with Chantel that the college basketball, that it's basically one email thing. Like I wrote a story about, you know, a UConn game and Paige Beckers wasn't even like the star of the story. And she still was able to give me a call and talk to me for 15 minutes. And like, that's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen at the pro level when I want to talk to pro athletes. Uh, um, I have to go through a lot of agents and they all want to know exactly who's going to be in the story and who, like, what caliber of player is also part of the story who was already committed, you know, um, a lot of different, hoops to jump through in terms of their participation. Um, And it's even like when I'm going through teams for contacts that sometimes team PR is not as uh, accommodating as you might expect, considering they would probably want coverage of their teams, especially during a dead period during the off season. So I think the, the stratification between pro and college is so interesting to me because you'd think they'd all collectively be fighting for the same sort of advancement of the game and they all sort of benefit off of one another. Um, but like when a player plays at Stanford and it's so easy to access and then all of a sudden they get to the pros and like they get shut off. It's a, it's a very weird thing.
2: <laughs> all right. So let's get into it. Like, I really like the back and forth that you guys, uh, did, um, when you discussed a variety of topics, including, um, the super team discussion. This is a discussion that, uh, has existed in the NBA for a long time. As you guys pointed out, it's unnecessarily new to the WNBA. I mean, if you really want to go back old school, right, you go back to the Comets and like, uh, their big three with swoops and Thompson, et cetera. But you know, we're not far removed from the links being like, you know, Maya Moore and Sylvia Fowles and just, you know, rolling over, um, everybody. So like th- this discussion has existed before that said, at least from my perspective, this feels a little different because one, it's player driven. And two, we now are just in a different universe where the publicity for this is massive. Like, you know, Brianna Stewart made her free agency, like on social, like a fun thing. Like that was its own little story. That really, like that wasn't the case. Like when the Lynx were putting together their great teams, it just like, it had a different feel to it. So I'll start with you, Sabrina. Like I I love the super team concept. I think it's awesome. So I look at the Liberty and I see Brianna Stewart, Courtney VanderSloot, like, John Cal Jones, Sabrina Ionescu, Lainey's there, Stephanie Dulson now a backup, actually. So, like, I think that's great for the sport. Like, I just think star sell. I think people can get interested in these teams. I think it's great for ESPN and their media partners. How do you see it writ large?
3: I'm with you. I think it's awesome. I think it's very, very cool how Brianna Stewart sort of combined, like, the serious aspects of her free agency. Like, you know, here I am advocating for charter flights, and I want, you know— to pick a team that's going to continue to advance the league and my game while also just being super silly and throwing out 16 emojis at the same time and forcing us to try to decipher what she was thinking. And I would love to eventually have a conversation where she explains what that was or if it was just a joke to get us all, you know, paying attention to her Twitter account a little more closely. It worked. It it really did, right? Like, (laughs) I had notifications on for Stewie. Like, that's not a thing that was existing before. So, But, I mean... Like you said, like the Minnesota thing, you know, those five starters, uh, Brunson, you know, Augustus, Maya Moore, Sylvia Lindsay Lindsey Whalen, were just there, you know, for most of the time. Sylvie Pallas came in a little bit later, but like they were just there for like seven years. You know, it wasn't like we were concerned about them leaving in free agency or something like that. That just wasn't a thing that happened in the WNBA. Like what's interesting about these super teams to me is there's kind of like an expiration date on them. I mean, we have these very stacked rosters built for the 2023 season, but it kind of has to happen this year because – Sabrina is up for a new contract at the end of the year. How do you fit that among all the other players that New York has? Asia Wilson's up for a new contract at the end of the year. Candace Barker's only on a one-year deal. So I love the immediacy of this. Like we get these great teams and we have to see what happens now because there's a shelf
2: life on it. What about you, Chantal? How do you see it?
3: I think you
1: hit it on the head, Richard, when you mentioned that, you know, this is player driven. I think that's what makes it really different. I think that's what's really exciting. I think the fact that, the two players that sort of had the maybe biggest free agencies to this point, Candace Parker and Stewie are two names that sort of extend outside of women's basketball. You know, if you ask a men's basketball fan or any sport, you know, they're aware of Candace Parker, they're aware of Stewie. And so the fact that these two names and these two players sort of drove free agency is fascinating. I think when you delve deeper, the fact that, you know, it's based on them and what they want for their futures, what they want for their personal lives, um, what they want for the sport. You know, all of these different things that it's not just driven by, OK, I want to play with these people, which, yes, it is. Candace wants to play with Chelsea. She wants to play with Asia and Stewie wants to play with Courtney VanderSloot and John Quill. But there are other elements here driving their decisions and what that means for the player empowerment era of the WNBA sort of in the wake of the most recent CBA, which was so driven by player salaries. But now these two biggest stars, Stewie and Candace are taking pay cuts to essentially prioritize themselves and the league in different ways. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating this season to cover these teams because there is so much to talk about off the court while also having these two teams drive the on the court discussion.
2: That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And just sort of for the audience's perspective, if they don't know, um, sort of the other super team, uh, Las Vegas Aces, Asia Wilson, Candace Parker, Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, Jackie Young. So again, the five that I named, you can make the argument five of the 25 best players in the league or or however you want to. Um, analyze it, but obviously Candace Parker is a future basketball Hall of Famer, Asia Wilson's like a MVP candidate, Kelsey Plum is a you know all WNBA type. So we're talking like it it is going to be a different year in having these two teams, which uh, you know the the ten that I mentioned constitute probably ten of the thirty best players in the league. Um, Sabrina, so this is what's really interesting to me, sort of in a media perspective, and this is something the Athletics going to have to figure out, and other places that cover the WNBA, like. There's going to be an insatiable, in my opinion, appetite and interest in these two teams. Like, you have to, like, write about them. You have to talk about them. That said, it's still only two teams, right? You have the rest of the league. So for someone like you in a position, like a national position, you know, you're not covering the Aces or you're not covering the Liberty. You cover everything. How do you, how are you going to sort of navigate, right? And prioritize, you know, there's interest in these two big teams. Quite frankly, you have a job where you got to get page views and subscriptions, right? Like that's a real reality of your world. Um, So people want to read about that at the same time. Like, you know, you also don't want to just like never, you know, write about some other team because you know, they have interesting stories too. So have you started to think about sort of the, the navigation of this?
3: Well, I think what's lucky about a super team forming for the Liberty is that, uh, it's not exactly a new practice to be covering a New York basketball team a little bit more than some other ones. <laughs> right. So you know, major media markets having good teams is uh, kind of solves some questions for you. But I mean, two super teams out of a league of twelve—like the beauty is—we can kind of focus heavily on those two while still having the bandwidth to think about the other teams because it's not you know a thirty-team league where we're ignoring twenty-eight teams. Um, there's still an opportunity for our increasing staff size to cover 10 teams, you know, that aren't those two super teams. Um, But so I guess I'm not terribly concerned about the uh, ignoring the stories that are existing around the league, just because we have three of us and there are, you know, only 12 teams that we have to focus on. It's more of a manageable like ratio than I think could have existed in another sport. But at the same time, like I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be focusing more attention on Vegas and New York, because that's where six of the last, 10 old WNBA players are, right? Like that's where the last seven of the 10 all-star starters are. Like if we want to focus on the very best that the league has to offer, I don't think that's such a bad thing.
2: Chantel, I want to ask you about um, the big media rights holder partners like ESPN. So like I remember writing a story, uh, I don't know if it was 2018 or 2017, where I wrote about that like, <laughs> I, think, I think it was sort of like a thought experiment thing, but like my, my premise was like uh, ESPN and Turner should show every Warriors game right? Just figure it out, like, nationally. Um, you know, I know the local regional outlet, like, there's money involved, stuff like that. Just figure out how to make that, because there was a point where the Warriors were essentially such destination viewing every night. I think this was when they won 70 games or something like that, and the viewership nationally for all those games was just popping, including against teams that were not necessarily the best teams, that there was such a demand for those games. Obviously, ESPN, etc., they're not going to do this, but If you were programming or if I was programming, I would really try to overweight as much as I could with the Liberty and Aces this year, even including like if I had to flex schedule them later in the season, because I just think there's going to be such interest in these teams. And it's a way, in my opinion, the casual sports fans who might not see the WNBA all the time interested in the WNBA because they have heard of these players and the quality of play for these teams is so high. How do you see it? Because I also know the counter argument from, you know, people who live in like, you know, who are like mystics fans or something like that, or storm fans. And they're like, Hey, you know, we want to be on national TV too. So I, I get, I get both sides of it.
1: Yeah. I think you, you make sure that the aces Liberty matchups are driven or are conversation driven for like a week or two or longer leading up to those games and that those are ABC games and that there is the whole shebang around it, um, that you're constantly talking about these two teams and the players to drive that conversation where I think it'll get interesting in terms of specifically TV viewership. And we can talk about charter flights as well, but because the WNBA season is so compressed and there are sometimes back to backs, like the ACEs Liberty is going to be necessary viewing The aces fever, maybe not so much. Um, I don't know how much, sorry, uh, fever fans, but I don't know (laughs) how much you really want to throw that game on ABC or ESPN necessarily because one of the, you know, issues, which maybe Becky Hammond would argue with me, wasn't an issue was depth last year for the aces. They really ran their starting five pretty hard. And after that, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, but this year, because there is such a concentration of talent, I think we might see those six, seven, eight, nine, ten players playing more, um, especially on maybe back to backs. If it is a fever game, if it's, you know, short travel day, short turnaround West Coast to East Coast type of a thing, you know, those games might not be as exciting and we might not see as much Candace Parker, Asia Wilson in those games. So you sort of start uh, leveraging, you know, which games do you actually want to make sure are the marquee matchups. And the nice thing, I guess, at this point, and, you know, there are still decisions in free agency that need to be made. There are still trades that could happen. So by the time this comes out, you know, some of this could be outdated because we don't know if some trades are going to happen, but we know the teams that are going to be most competitive at the top of the league. And we know the teams that are rebuilding the most and have the most young talent. And so Hopefully the people who are making those decisions about what games are on TV are also consulting the people that cover the sport um, and also consulting the rosters so that they know which games should
2: be built up the most. I yeah, was just checking this out here. Actually more games ever. I think uh, we're looking at uh, 40. Am I right about this? Does that sound right. 40 games per team this year. So I think things changed, right? So you have actually more inventory now to play with for the, television partners which is really good sabrina one of the things that um you know is talked about a lot in my world is um nhl fans like used to sort of uh, lament that it, you know if you weren't on espn or if, if espn was not your partner like you sort of got buried among the espn universe and particularly buried when it came to like any discussion on shoulder programming shows you know all the morning talk shows and radio and stuff like that um By the way, I'm not even sure now that hockey's back with ESPN, how much they talk about that as well. I'm always trying to figure out like, like, is there value for the WNBA and women's college basketball to be talked about on the getups or the around the horns or the first takes? Um, And I would say like in an in an in an abstract world, of course, but and here's my butt coming up. They're only generally discussed when it's like a controversial topic or like Griner coming back. It's it, Those discussions are never like, wow, like, uh, you know, the fever just made this really interesting trade. And now they're, you know what I'm saying? It's like it never really gets to the point of like where it's discussed on the Cowboys or anything else. So while I understand like that idea because it probably would make, it brings the sport to more people. Like it doesn't really work for me unless it's like a real discussion about the sport but that's just my perspective i'm very jaded and cynical having covered television for a long time how do you um how do you see it like how do you like do, as someone who covers the league as someone obviously is invested in it and a fan women's ba- women you can use co- women's college basketball too like is is that a, do you see that as an important thing um because i can tell you having talked to the people who run women's college basketball in the WNBA at espn like they advocate for it they do want it so for them it's important but you sort of see where I'm coming from on this. I'm curious. I'll be curious for you how you and Chantal see that.
3: I would agree with you that from a national perspective, when the WNBA gets picked up on these, like, you know, get up around the horn type shows, like it definitely is very issue driven. It's, oh, you know, WNBA players had to postpone a game because the team didn't arrive in time. Or like you mentioned, Burton Greiner or advocating for better travel or such and such or such and such. And there's so much more conversation about the off the court things surrounding the league than there is actually about the basketball when I think it would do such a service to sports fans if they just heard like, Oh, Hey, you know, Asia Wilson and Candace Parker are going to be teammates. Those are names, you know, this might be a team you might want to actually pay attention to during the regular season. And I don't think the solution is to just stop talking about all of the issues because I, I think it's relevant, you know, to the, the league itself because it is younger than a lot of male sports leagues. And it does have these things that it needs to work through, but, you know, just complimenting that with like, Hey, like, Isn't it kind of fun to see Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot like, run taking roles with each other? Like, we talk about college basketball that way. I mean, Caitlin Clark has always mentioned, like, hey, she's putting up stats that rival, like, oh, you know, a a Dwayne Wade triple-double against University of Kentucky or, like, things like that. Um, the, The context of college basketball always seems like, oh, these are athletes. We're talking about them as if they're athletes. And yet, when we get to the professional level, it's always... Oh, the WNBA is like the separate entity that needs to be discussed as like a, a special thing that's not quite basketball, but also all of these social and political constructs thrown into it. Um, I don't think that necessarily needs to be taken away. It just needs to be augmented with the basketball side of things, because I do think that's how you get fans, right? Like they're watching a show, they're talking about LeBron and Steph and Giannis and all of these things. And then you just sprinkle in a mention of Asia Wilson and Stewie and it just gets in people's heads, right?
2: Yeah, you. Be, that's she. uh Sabrina just made really a point far more elegantly than than I did in my question. Like that would be, that would be the, the, to me, like you, the you've arrived point. Like I haven't, I absolutely agree that like you should discuss, I mean, we, we had an American citizen, a very prominent famous basketball player being held un, uh, unjustly in a foreign country. Like that is a topic that should absolutely be discussed. And I get that. And like, and I'm glad they're discussing it, but I'm with Sabrina and the fact that like, I think you can discuss like, you know uh may may 25th on like get up like all right so you have the it's a little early like june 25th like so you have the you have you have these two super teams like how are they gelling like as a team like is it working show highlights and like discuss it that would be interesting to me and i think still interesting to an audience in the same way like you know if you're discussing like oh how's Giannis doing like without uh chris middleton or something like that like it's the same discussion to me so how do you see it
1: Yeah, I think it's my experience with covering women's sports and following women's sports is you know, the old adage, if you put it on TV, people will watch. Um, I think a lot of times there is this, you know, I hear it constantly. I'm sure Sabrina hears it constantly, you know, no one cares. And it's like, well, actually hundreds of thousands of people care if you actually put it somewhere where they can easily access this uh, content. Um, And so I think that's a good argument for making sure it's on the main ESPN channels or on the main ABC channel. Um, Because if you put it there, if you talk about it, people will watch. And if you put it on TV and people see these players, they will also talk about those players and they will hear about those players and it drives the conversation and everything feeds the next thing. Right. And so I agree with Sabrina. You augment it with the off-the-court stuff, but you also have to talk about the on-the-court stuff. I think we should talk about Brittany Greiner, but I also think we should talk about her return to the sport. We should talk about what this looks like from a physical standpoint. How is she training? How is she working out? How is the mercury coming together? How are decisions being made? Um, I think we should talk about roster compositions in that way and and trades. And I think, you know, the WNBA with its cba with its most recent cba in terms of the off season coverage being more exciting with these player driven movements you know the wnba season is really short it is you know a few months and so part of the issue has been that there just isn't as much off season coverage you don't hear these names we hear about asia wilson um you know, and I guess Candace Parker more, more so because of her work with TNT. So we hear her more, but we don't hear about Elena Deledon when it's not the WNBA season as much. We don't hear about Stewie as much because they're playing in Turkey and Russia. But I think now with the way that the conversation flows more throughout the year because of free agency, because of how players are recruiting one another to different teams. Um, you know, it's February and we've been talking about Stewie for like a month now because of her emojis. When you have that year-round coverage, when you have more games on TV, it's easier to make the argument that these things should be talked about on the major sports networks, on their major shows.
2: Sabrina, I'm glad that Chantal brought up Griner because this is really fascinating to me sort of journalistically in terms of like, how do you approach covering her this year? That is independent of what the Mercury does. And my prediction, I imagine it's yours as well. They will be very judicious in terms of whatever kind of access she gets. I'm sure she will talk at one point at the beginning of the year. I wonder if they'll make her even available after that, after practices and stuff like that. I think that's remains to be seen. But it's a major story, obviously. Uh, Goes beyond the WNBA in terms of a sports story, at least be my perspective if I was running a a sports outlet. So do you have any thoughts in terms of like if you, um, if the editors of The Athletic were like, we really want you to focus on Brittany Griner, for the first you know two months of the season how would you approach trying to navigate that that world of coverage
3: yeah that's a toughie just because it's an entirely unprecedented situation right we've never seen a recent hostage step back into the world of professional sports and have to deal with all of the celebrity and media and like pressure that comes with being a professional athlete associated with all of it i mean it seems like Britney's doing all right right now. Like all of the reports out of her camp have been that she's, you know, training and enjoying life, and she helped out at an MLK event in Phoenix. Uh, but just internally, it, it's impossible to know like what she's going through and how that's going to manifest itself. Like when she shows up in front of a crowd of people that like may not be entirely happy to see her. You know, like that's a very legitimate possibility. Um, I mean, setting aside what Phoenix wants to do, I I just don't know how you push someone in a situation like that right like it's so delicate you obviously don't want to disturb anyone's mental situation by bringing up things that happened a year ago but um, yeah i I've, i mean i've given it thought it's just it's such a it kind of seems like something Griner would have to direct a little bit just because you she's the one who's been in this experience and even though it's a very newsworthy story and obviously something that reflects on the WNBA experience in terms of her having to go overseas and being put in this situation it's just it still feels like some that she has to tell right like I don't know how much you'd want to push that because it's just again it's so out of the ordinary
2: yeah Chantal I want to get your take on this too you know in sort of thinking about this you know she's she has a big agency behind her Wasserman and so you know, I imagine there's they're probably thinking about what they want to do, and do they want to do like a big interview where she sits down with her wife and, like, you know, talks to I, I, what you know, name brand journalist X, and so, um, and then talks to the WNBA press. I don't know what they're going to do, but like, like Sabrina said, um, this is unprecedented. This is not a gender unprecedented, this is like a American unprecedented. Like, I, there's no equivalent in sports that you can, I think, um, compare her coming back here and just answering questions from a media core. Uh, and as Sabrina said too, like, there's going to be a factor that like, there are, uh, you know, there's gonna be people who don't want her back. They're gonna be people who don't want to hear from her. So you have all this mix. Have you thought about it? If, if in the event that like, you know, you get assigned to go out to Phoenix and, Spend two or three days and try to you know, try to do a a, like a takeout piece on on Griner coming back.
1: In sports, as a sports journalist, there are times when you're just covering a game, right? It's pretty straightforward, and you want to add in human elements. But I think you know a lot of us who are in sports are not necessarily here for the sports all the time. We're here for the human elements. Um, It doesn't get more human than this, right? Like this was Brittany Griner as a person. Um, this is Brittany Greiner as a person and how she's going to want to handle this. I agree with Sabrina. I think she's going to sort of drive that Wasserman will certainly, but I think, you know, in a way she'll also drive sort of what Wasserman does. I fully expect there to be a sit down with like Robin Roberts at some point where she tells her story. I anticipate that to be ahead of the season so that it's not, you know, answering the same question 40 times. Um, And I think as a sports reporter, you know, you have to remember that these athletes are humans. And I think we're all going to have to keep our humanness centered with Brittany this year. Um, That doesn't mean that if she, like has a bad game. She goes like, oh, of 14 from the floor within two feet of the basket, that we don't talk about it. Um, she is choosing to play basketball. So we need to also cover her as a basketball player this year. But I think also keeping her as a human centered in her story this year, knowing that it's, you know, there are a lot of elements here. And I think a lot of sports reporters do this really well. I think some sports reporters don't always do this very well. But I hope that everyone who is covering The WNBA, the Mercury, Brittany this year sort of keep her humanness and their humanness centered in the story.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. a couple more here. I want to ask you guys that, that I have you, um, because I have you about women's college basketball, um, and some broad things there. Sabrina, I want to start with you. The, um, how do you look at it in terms of where the coverage of the sport is now? I think there there's a discussion to be had that like it's phenomenal how much more interest there is in women's college basketball than there was 10, 15 years ago, while at the same time like wanting more coverage and wanting more outlets to cover stuff. There's still places around the country where they don't staff up a top 10 team on a, you know, game by game basis so I think I think there's a real honest nuanced discussion to have that there's you know there's really been advances and also there's there's places to go I mean the athletic by the way writ large is a great example I mean we've had moments where we've really staffed up women's college basketball and then staffed down so like there's you you can be critical the athletic as well and on all this stuff too as well as praise the athletic um so where do you stand Sabrina just in terms of like where the from your perspective where the coverage is um of the sport sort of writ large.
3: I think uh, TV wise still lagging a little bit, just, you know, there are times when I'm on the big 10 network and there's like a, an unranked men's game while, you know, there are two ranked teams who are playing on big 10 plus, And that's obviously a lot harder for the average fan to watch than it is to, you know, get the direct TV channel. Um, in terms of like the, I know there was a lot of complaints in the past about like, Oh, everything in women's college basketball is just about UConn and Tennessee or UConn and Notre Dame or insert team with UConn and I think that that has expanded quite a bit um I do think that we still find ourselves in a trap of uh female athletes who tend to have a certain uh complexion for lack of a better word or, or a
2: look yeah, and well, image yeah, and why, white athletes know, like, yeah, let's, white let's athletes, just be blunt you know, like white women's basketball players who yeah, have a certain they look get a little bit more um, coverage are, are, are than otherwise yeah like we talk about sport.
3: Paige Beckers and Caitlin yeah. Clark and you know Haley Van Lith a lot more than we do about black players who are having similarly excellent seasons, uh, which, you know, obviously we try to push past as much as possible, but like sometimes people want to talk about Caitlin Clark and what are you going to do? Like, it just so happens that she's an awesome white basketball player. Um, But like from a written perspective, I do think that there are certain athletes outlets that have, you know, understaffed their women's basketball operations in recent years. Uh, I know I came from one at Vox that, Laid off a lot of its women's basketball staff in the last couple of years. Um, I know Ben came from Sports Illustrated, where they had an opening for a women's basketball writer that just went unfilled for like a year and a half. So it's nice that like we have an opportunity to cover the sport here, but that's not necessarily happening across all of the major companies that are covering basketball. And I'm not really sure what to do about that because I know the people like in this circle have all tried to fill those jobs, and it just you know companies haven't had that. So I'm very happy to be here where we get to cover women's basketball, but I am a little concerned about the fact that places that have, you know, prioritized men's college hoops and the NBA just don't seem to put that same energy into the women's side of
2: things. Chantel. Yeah. I just want to
3: add something on this because I think,
1: you know, I covered college football for like the first decade of my career, which is obviously a men's sport, um, and is super oversaturated in its coverage. And I was, I've always been a women's basketball fan and I always wanted to cover women's sports, but coming out of college, I got an offer to cover college football at ESPN and there were no job offers for me to cover women's sports. And you take the job in sports journalism that you can get, right. Even if it's whatever. Um, and i agree with everything sabrina said and i will also say yes and that you know i think a lot of times in this conversation we talk about the newsrooms that aren't staffing for women's basketball jobs and covering the sport and as someone that was on the outside for a really long time i was always like yeah it's the newsrooms fault it's journalism's fault it's all of these hedge fund ceos that just aren't putting money <laughs> into their newsrooms so that we can cover women's basketball and women's sports and You know, the patriarchy, all of that. Right. And yes. And there is also a lot of work on the internal side. Um, There is a lot of pushback sometimes on stories that people want to cover from, you know, people within the sport. Like we talked earlier, team PR. On the WNBA side, league PR agents, um, players themselves sometimes don't even want to, you know, they'll sort of go, you know, why aren't we covered? And then you try to get a sit down with them and they're like, wait, why do you want to sit down in a coffee shop with me and talk to me? Why can't we just talk after practice sort of a thing? And so I think that when we have this conversation about why it's not covered as much the easy answer and and part of the problem is obviously newsrooms and journalism but i also think part of the problem is that we need to have the full conversation which isn't always had and um sort of holding everyone accountable in terms of you know the wnba can't just say it wants to be covered more it actually has to you know do its part in responding to emails and phone calls
2: too shanta i want to f- continue with you the the from my perspective um and maybe a lot of this is that they have their own distribution um, mechanisms to put out, like, how they feel about things. And when I say that, like, social media basically is sort of what I'm saying. But, like, the 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 awareness of, like, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, maybe not Angel Reese as much, uh, although that's sort of coming. But, like, I, I covered, uh, like, my, like, um, real like sort of hardcore time At Sports Illustrated sort of like uh, Covered the, the End of the Bird Tarazi era Through um, uh, Maya Moore And like that That's sort of like my uh, grind or two So like the, those famous Players were famous in Some way but it feels very Different to me today with like Paige Beckers And caton Clark in terms of like Their reach like I see their Social media numbers and it's like crazy now maybe like Maya Moore would have had that too it's probably a bad example but you know what I mean like maybe like someone would have had that at my time as well so it feels different and it it feels like the um the interest level in women's college basketball like has significantly grown and I can point to like the final four numbers that ESPN has had and like literally prove to you that it's Grown. This is why when anybody on Twitter just says like no one cares, it's actually fun to just be like, well, other than the four point three million people who watched like the championship game, you're correct. No one cares. Like it's it's just a dumb, lazy, stupid argument. It's like the same stupid argument when people use dumb words like woke or virtual signal. It's just it's just it's just dumb at this point. But like so to me, Chantelle, you're but you're in the middle of this now. Like I feel like the players have so many more avenues to become more well known, which is great for the sport. Like from this NIL stuff and everything like that, have you on the ground, are you seeing this? Because it feels like to me that you could become so much more of a known entity in America as a 20-year-old basketball player, women's basketball player today, than you could have 10, 15, maybe even five years ago.
1: Oh, 100%. Like you know, if you're a musician and you want your song to go top 10, like get a TikTok viral dance, right? That's sort of like the fastest path to getting on the charts. Um, I personally would have loved to see college Diana Taurasi have a TikTok like during that era. I think that would have been, um, I mean, I think she would have been pretty fun on TikTok. We'll see. Um, maybe not. Um, but no, I think
2: she would have, she would have been very active on social media and because I think she would have understood the marketing element of it.
1: Yeah. And pre-NIL, right? All of these conversations that we look back on now, a lot of the pundits and everyone was saying, well, women are really going to thrive in this NIL era because, you know, generally speaking, women are better at social media than the men, um, especially at the college level. And I think that has in some ways played out that we see some of the largest social media followings for Instagram, Uh, and TikTok are women's basketball players when comparing it just to men's basketball players. I forget what the numbers were. Um, Someone put it out during the final four last year with, you know, the highest final four athletes in terms of their social following. I think women are leveraging that and they are using that. And I also think that companies are investing and they're seeing the potential growth in women's sports, right? Like, the men's college basketball market is pretty saturated. You're not going to convert millions, tens of millions of new fans in men's basketball over the next decade. There is a ton of fertile ground here for women's basketball. There is a lot more to gain here and I think companies, you know, set aside any sort of quality or equity conversation, right? Like if you're a business person and you want to make money, You can make more money or you can look at where you can make the largest jump in making money, right? And I think a lot of companies are realizing that, especially with how women are driving the conversation, with how women's basketball players are getting more and more popular, that women's basketball is maybe the better long-term investment just in terms of the growth that money will make. I think the interesting thing here is sort of how we have these college basketball players who are arguably more well-known than some WNBA players. I would bet if you found, you know, random person on the street interview and said, name 10 basketball players, 10 women's basketball players, maybe that person is going to name more college players than pro. Um, and that might hold true over the last 10, 15 years potentially. So how does Caitlin Clark, Paige Becker, Aliyah Boston, You know, Haley Jones, how does their current setup with their NIL deal, with their Nike partnerships or Gatorade or Bose headphones, how does that translate to the WNBA? Because we're at a really interesting time right now where, you know, Aliyah Boston is making more money in college with her NIL partnerships than she will as a WNBA player. But how does that sort of marketability, her footprint outside of basketball, Change and what does that do for the NBA? I think we're in a fascinating time for the sport, and I know I'm kind of rambling here and going away from your question, but I think
2: no, that's you just I just that's a column I would read. That was a really good Uh, ramble, by the way. All of this is sort of
1: watching how the sport is going to grow, and I think to bring it back to the original point, as people consider where to invest, you know, I'm not a business person, but I have my opinions, so.
2: Yeah, no, well, I mean, in many ways, the economics are very simple. The the best men's star college basketball player, if they even go to college, and not the G League or not international, they're staying one year. That's the economics single year. Caitlin Clark may be at her place for four. And if something happens, maybe five, if it's like a red shirt, you're, you know, in pages case, obviously gets hurt. So the economics are such, if you're going to invest, that's a five-year investment as a business, as opposed to a seven month investment. So it's just math, even though, yes, the the men's game is bigger, more prominent, more exposure. But I think you, uh, to me, you got a really interesting story. Uh, Chantel, if you ever, or a column, at least if sort of, you ever wanted to do it, you know, find some wonky economics person, they probably can make the case stuff for you. All right. Here's what I want to finish up on, Sabrina. This is interesting to me because it really doesn't get talked a lot about, except probably in, like the people who do like sports gambling and stuff like those kind of stories. But um, you know, the sports gambling companies have always sort of, you know, the DraftKings and places like that, et cetera. Like they've always made this sort of argument that like this is going to drive interest in a sport. Uh, let's be honest; they're, they're trying to make money. Like that's what their goal is. But you know, maybe. There's truth to that. Like I can sort of buy the fact that, like, if you have uh, an investment on a game, whatever the game is, like, you're more into it. And I certainly know a lot of dudes who are like care far more about the result, the the margin of victory, than they do about who's winning or playing. Right? That's just that's what gambling is about. What I've never really been able to figure out with women's college basketball, the WNBA, is like, is there like a growth area here when it comes to sports gambling? Like, can you get people interested in these two entities through, like, gambling or fantasy or whatever that is? And I I tried to write that story once, and I failed miserably. Just like it wasn't a – I didn't get it, It's just to be very honest. And so I just wonder from your perspective. Again, I know you don't cover the gambling element a lot, but, like, you've heard the same stuff, right? That, like, you know, what if, like, you made it – what if – Places made it like really clear, like all the WNBA spreads on a given night, like would that draw more interest. Cause people would have interest in like, you know, I'm just making this up like Brianna Stewart, like plus or minus 18 points in this game and stuff like that. I don't really know the answer, but I'm, I wanted to ask you and Chantel just what you both think about it. Cause it's, it hasn't really been talked about a lot and it's kind of interesting to me.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick to the fantasy sports side of it for a second. Um, I feel like football definitely benefited from fantasy just because, it plays so well as a fantasy sport, like, you know, in the, the origins of fantasy football, you only really have to pay attention one day a week. And now even as it's grown, there's just such a, a strong base of people who are in fantasy football that like, that's just led naturally into their NFL fandom. I feel like it didn't really work for the NBA in the same way. I think basketball fantasy is still a thing. It's just not nearly as interesting as football fantasy. So if it didn't work for the NBA, I can't imagine it's really going to work on the W side. Um, the one thing I will say about Vegas lines, uh, it's nice that we have good enough data that Vegas can put together reasonable lines. Now, like that was a thing before where they just didn't know how to set, you know, odds on these women's games because there just wasn't enough information about how these teams actually performed. So when I look at lines, not that I'm betting on anything, but like I see reasonable lines being put out now, which is interesting to me at the very least, but I think Chantel can maybe speak better to how that actually drives people into basketball.
1: I was going to say, I haven't always been like, I think of the 2021 All Star game, which for anyone who was paying attention to the WNBA, you knew that this was going to be a good game because it was the Olympic team versus the All Stars. And on the non Olympic team, you had some people who had been snubbed in the past and currently from the olympic roster and some people who wanted to make some statements and the line for the point total opened up at like 251 and it was like it does anyone in vegas pay attention like has and it's not like there's actually going to be defense in this game there's no way it's going to get there and within the course of like 3 hours it dropped to 216 the final point total was 178 like this was one of those things where it was like vegas like if you're going to make lines and so I agree. I think the lines have gotten better, but there are also some times where you look at it and you're like, do they even like just put forth like five minutes of research um, and maybe try to do this. But in terms of, you know, driving interest, do I think that a, you know, looking at the odds of like the, the fever, we've talked about them three times now, which is officially the most that anyone has ever talked about the fever in the last several years. Um, big Indiana coverage here. But, you know, is there going to be a ton of action on a fever links line? Probably not. Um, you know, or a Dallas Atlanta line? Probably not. I think you have to be smart about when you're offering these lines and what these lines are. I think player props would do really well thinking specifically at the college level you know let's use caitlin clark again you know over under 6.5 threes or something over under you know whatever attempts or makes or whatever it might be right i think something like that would drive a lot of interest and you're sitting there wondering how many threes is caitlin clark going to make um i think that does drive interest FanDuel last year took bets on the women's tournament. Um, they offered lines. I don't, I'm not a big betting person. I don't bet as a reporter, but so anyone who's listening is like, oh, you're using the wrong jargon. Sorry, but you know what I'm talking about, but they took more than a million bets last year on the women's tournament and the first year that those lines were offered. And so I think there is an interest here. I think player props to me are specifically the most interesting because you don't need to know necessarily how South Carolina matches up with Iowa you just have to know oh Caitlin Clark she shoots like crazy or you know you know Aaliyah Boston is like a double double machine so if there's some sort of a prop there about over under whatever or can bring fouls like over under (laughs) like how many games is she going to foul out of in the NCAA tournament I don't know if that's a line they'd offer but you know Some people might want to take that. So I think those player props are maybe somewhere that could drive interest because there is more sort of individual celebrity in the women's game. um, And that brings people into it, whether or not, you know, I don't think this should be like the number one way that the sport is trying to grow. But I think like everything, it's a, you know, you to quote John Beeline, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Um, and I think this is sort of one bite. He always had these weird sayings. He was the first college basketball coach I really covered. Um, and these have always stuck with me, but that was one he'd always say.
2: Right. That's the that's Michigan John Beeline as opposed to Canisius John Beeline. I grew up in Buffalo, so I'm well aware of him. Uh, yeah. And you, you just sent me down to like a internet hole on the fever roster. Kelsey Mitchell, Destiny Henderson. No offense to the fear. it's gonna it might be a long year for. It's the been
1: people. a long. We've said season. that for a few, few years.
3: I mean, I mean ESPN has to put Aaliyah Boston yeah. on national TV once, right? Like she can't be on national yeah. TV less as That's a pro. Yeah,
2: they will. That yeah, that I mean, it does. The one thing about the, uh, you know, the one thing about the league is it can change quick, and Aaliyah Boston should get. She should really do well there because. Offensively, they could use. Or I will say though, you guys, I think you both have wrote written about this, or you you will if not. But like that twenty twenty four WNBA draft, like potentially it can be like game changing just in terms of interest for the league. Um, You know, like that's. I don't want. I don't always like to make the male equivalent, but you know what? What the. I think it was, like, LeBron, Carmel, you know, whatever that... Le- that There was a one draft in WNBA where, like, five, like, transcendent kind of young players all entered at the same time. And that's what the 2024 WNBA draft has the feel of this, at least in terms of marketability. And I think um, you both have brought this up. Like, I think Chantel said it. Like, if you asked, like, a like a a decent sports fan, someone who's watched women's basketball, not maybe a diehard, but, like, at least has watched the sport, like, name, name ten players in the sport... I I guarantee Paige Beckers would be one of those 10 in whatever other pros you mentioned. And maybe now at this point, given all the ESPN highlights, it's possible Caitlin Clark would be also on that too. So that draft uh, um, really has a chance. Well, and Richard,
1: uh, one super interesting point that we should hit on that I think um, is interesting in women's basketball and different from men's basketball and college football is that, you know, we still have this COVID year that – athletes can use whether they want to or not Aaliyah boston has another year if she wants it um that is that is dangling out there for her she doesn't have to leave
2: what would you do if you were her though you're, guar- you're guaranteed number one in the 2023 NBA, in the WNBA draft, right? But you're also maybe going to a team you might not want go to. But then we go factor to. in
1: the NIL money versus your rookie contract, which is less oh, yeah. than $80,000. And so, right. again, this is sort of factoring in all these different points of um, pay equity and all of that. But players can make more money at the college level than the pro level currently, um, at least in terms of guaranteed money. I love that. Um, and, you know, obviously those contracts. What
2: would you do if you were, what would you... What would you advise her if you were her? Uh, what would you tell her? Name? I
1: think she has to. The thing is, I think a lot of players at the college level you know, it's also about competition. Aaliyah Boston, as Don Staley pointed out, yeah. is getting a bunch of junk defenses this year. She might not want to keep playing right. against four defenders and just go to the pro level and play. And I do think her um, partnerships are going to carry over really well, but you look at someone like Paige Beckers, who's making more than a million a year currently with all her deals and she's not even healthy. Um, you know, how does that translate when she gets into the pros exactly? And, you know, do you do you use these COVID bonus years? Do you not?
2: I if I were Sabrina, you want to weigh in on this. If I were Paige Beckers, and I know this is hard to because you want because obviously this is an amazing athlete and wants to play against the best. You are a cult hero in that part of the world. There is money to be made. You have to give in your um opportunity now like you know I'm saying like you're only gonna be 23 22 once like I if I were her agent I would advise her to take the COVID year and stay in Yukon, understanding that you want to test yourself um to me there's too much money Leah Boston's a little bit different like you just said Chantel and that like at a certain point do you like you want 15 people draping over you every game like at a certain point like I'd rather do that in the pros but you know, it's also she's making a ton of money. They are th- th- that's a final four team every year as long as she's there and that's fun as opposed to you know, you go to the fever and you're losing a lot of games. What? how do you see what would you do, Sabrina, for these guys?
3: Well, I think the whole thing about the rookie contract being less than NIL is a little short-sighted because you do jump start your next contract the earlier you that's get into the league.
2: Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's part true. of it.
3: Um but I mean if if I really have and I think I would go pro just because again, like I think she's proven everything she needs to at South Carolina. And the longer you stay, the more time there is for people to just pick nits at you. Whereas with Paige, she hasn't won at UConn yet. So if it takes until a fifth year, you, I think you kind of want to stay. AZ Fudd's still going to be there. She's your best friend. Like that's the kind of situation where I could see her staying out of next year, especially because she had this red shirt, right? Like she, I mean, th- theoretically she could say six years, which I don't think that's going to happen, but as long as they still haven't, you know, gotten that first post stewie title that's more incentive for people to want to stay at uconn in my opinion
2: yeah and i think yeah. it means i think i'm not saying it doesn't mean something to the male players who play where they do but like you're if you win a women's college basketball championship particularly if you do it at like a place like uconn or stanford or what you like that you get you your sta- that, that you're that for life mm-hmm. like you come back 25 years later you were part of that championship team like that means something um, and I would just, as a fan of her game, I would like to see her play for a full year healthy. Like, I just would like to see that in the college game.
1: Well, and Aaliyah's going to, Aaliyah's going to graduate with potentially two national titles um, yep. under her belt, and, you know, walk off into the sunset, be that Absolutely. she's going to get a statue right next to Asia Wilson's probably, you know, down in South Carolina Paige is so competitive and she has that drive in her. I don't know if she can leave UConn without winning a national title like that. It's sort of the competition that will drive Aaliyah to want to play against better competition and stop getting all these junk defenses versus the competition that will sort of drive Paige to stay in college. You know, totally separate from a money decision. I think it would be really hard for her to imagine leaving UConn without
3: holding that trophy. Yeah, because Paige is competing against, like, Diana and, you know, other UConn greats. That's that's the competition in her sideline.
2: By the way, not for nothing, I feel like I just gave you to another one of these back and forths. You could literally just do it on this topic. You, you literally just wrote the column if I would tape it and send you the audio. So you could do it on what Paige Becker should do or what Elia Boston should do. I like that. All right, well, listen, this has been awesome. I I, I never get to talk about this anymore, so it's uh, it's very cool for me. I will just say, Shantel, because you're on uh, – uh, the podcast here. Your, your um, Tara Vanderveer profile is one of the best things The Athletic published uh, last year. It's a phenomenal piece of uh, reporting and writing. You should be really, really proud of that. It's a great, great piece. And uh, I know at least it got pushed by The Athletic, which was at the end of the year, which was pretty cool. But uh, since I haven't talked to you, I just wanted to um, tell you that. And Sabrina, uh, you know, welcome. Like, uh, as someone who likes the sport and wrote, written about the sport, the more people who work on the staff, like I'm psyched, like, the better for. for the better for the brand. Um, So I'm really glad to see your byline on there. Um, If you guys uh, want, I would love to have you back around final four time and we can sort of do this again. And it'll be a little closer to WNBA season, but also we'll get a sense of, uh, of what's going on with women's college basketball, I'm very, very interested. We can talk about this the next time I have you guys on about what they're going to do with that NCAA package. And if they're going to break that out to just sell the women's tournament solo, or if they're going to keep it and roll it up as they've done in the past, because they need the women's tournament as incentive, obviously, to um, to sell the other sports. But that's a really interesting issue when it comes to uh, to women's basketball, because that um, that tournament, as both of you know, like can make could really go for a lot of money now, just given the viewership numbers. Like the viewership numbers, you know, four million. You can you, you're talking tens and tens of millions, basically, to sell those rights now, just given those numbers. So it's pretty interesting to me. Um, Chantel Jennings is a senior writer at the athletic covering WNBA and women's college basketball. Um, she, uh, you can follow her obviously on uh, Twitter and on the various platforms. Sabrina Merchant is, uh, I think you are technically, I think I looked at up now, staff writer, Sabrina. So That's congrats right. on the promotion. You're, for this podcast, you will only be a senior writer forever as you as you come on. Sabrina Merchant uh, works for the athletic. You can follow her work as well on there and uh, check her out too on her uh, social media platform Sabrina and Chantel thanks so much I really really enjoyed this and uh, and I'll definitely have you back in a couple months when we get close to the women's final four
1: thanks Richard thanks
2: alright back in the studio my thanks to Sabrina and Chantel for, uh, the, for giving me a lot of time and uh, it was fun for me to do that I haven't talked to uh, women's basketball for now in such a long time so that was, that was pretty awesome to, to be able to do that with two of the best who are coming up right now if you head to the archives, there should be some things that you'll find interested or interesting, I hope, at least. Uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson were on this podcast a week ago discussing uh, their year together. They were, course of course, call the Super Bowl. Chad Finn and Austin Carp on Tom Brady's retirement, what it means for Fox Sports and Greg Olson, Katie Strang, my colleague at The Athletic on her reporting of a doctor facing 27 counts of criminal sexual assault, many involving male hockey players. Had Lindsey Jones and Nikki Jabava not too long ago Lindsey of the Ringer, and Nikki of the Washington Post on how to cover the biggest uh, NFL games. I certainly highly recommend uh, the Apple TV documentary, The Super League, The War for Football. We had Jeff Zinbos, the filmmaker, of that on. And then Al Michaels on January 11th. There should be some stuff in this. Archives, I hope that you like. Please uh, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. If you appreciate this kind of content, that's how things continue. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody who came to the 13. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Sports The Sportsman Blue Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.